Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Okay, well, welcome to Belong Sunday, uh, formerly here at HPC known as Orphan Sunday. Um, We have called it Orphan Sunday for many years um, as we stand or with the rest of the world as they honor this uh, day for foster care and adoption. Um, But this year, there was a specific call in this house to change that name from Orphan Sunday to Belong, um, because we feel like everyone belongs um, here, and we don't want to be any different. So it was 11 years ago that we celebrated our first uh, Orphan Sunday at HPC. And at that time, I stood up just like today in front of this church family. This church was just a couple months old. Um, And the room was much, much smaller. Um, But at that time, I shared a small burden that the Lord had placed on my heart for the orphan and the church's call. And when I look back, I realize that I truly had no idea what that meant at the time. Um, It was just a few months earlier that John and I had been placed with our first of what would be five adoptions. And it was in the coming years that we would truly learn what this roller coaster ride of the foster care system was and the heartache that it holds. But we would also watch the Lord take what started as pain of infertility and turn it into a foster care awakening in this area. Looking back at that first Orphan Sunday, at that time there was only one licensed family, foster family in HPC, and only one family that had previously adopted from Russia. But as I look across this room this morning, I cannot believe what has unfolded over the past 11 years. For those of you that are new to His Providence Church or are visiting this morning, you need to know that you sit among the most incredible, selfless, courageous, loving families that there are. Families that answer the call always late at night and take placements of sibling groups of eight so they don't have to be separated, and families that sacrifice above and beyond the call to walk kids towards healing. Families that have endured the pain and loss of beautiful reunifications, and those who have shared in the many joys of adoptions here. But you also get the privilege of sitting in a room with beautiful kids that have journeyed foster care or are walking that journey now. To those kids in this room, and there are many, you are loved more than you know, and you are wanted here in this place. Galatians 1.15 says, even before you were born, God chose you and called you. And I know that that word is specifically for you today because on Friday night, the Lord woke me up five times and said Galatians 1.15. And I did not know what that verse was. So it's for you. When I started to count the foster families over the past few years at HPC alone, we have 50 families that have been licensed in this church. And that represents countless kids that have walked through these doors and been touched. We've also been able to celebrate eight adoptions this year alone and a few more that are on their way. 
This is not including the 50 churches that partner with us to do this work. You see, the foster care work has always been the call of the church. I know you've heard me say it before, but the church doorsteps is where babies and orphans were left for so many years. James 1.27 says, true and pure religion is to care for the orphan in their distress. And for those of you that were here last Sunday, um, Pastor Zach shared a beautiful picture. One that if you were here last Sunday will be hard to forget. And if you weren't here, you can look up the photos and you'll see why you would remember it. But in what he shared last week, it was um, the friends or the crew that were carrying the crippled man to Jesus. They were pushing through the crowd, carrying him up to the rooftop to get him in front of Jesus. Their quest was for healing. He talked about how hard it must have been to carry that stretcher, especially a great distance. But that entire time that I saw that stretcher moving back and forth across the stage, um, all I could see was foster and adoptive parents as the crew carrying each one of your precious ones to Jesus. I saw them carrying these kids to ER for crisis, to doctor's appointments, to visits, through loss, through abandonment. And that stretcher can be so heavy at times. But knowing that the only place they'll find true healing from hurt, abuse, and neglect is at the feet of Jesus. I am more grateful than words can express for a church family that recognizes the need to pick up the stretcher and start walking, and for people that get around the stretcher and help carry. In the state of Massachusetts, there are over 9,000 kids currently in foster care and 1,000 that are waiting for adoptive homes specifically. Across the country, 400,000 children in foster care. Not enough beds, not enough homes, not enough mental health support, not enough social workers, not enough clinicians, not enough, not enough, not enough. But in this room, there is more than enough faith to change this broken system. Let this place be a house of restoration and healing from trauma. Let this be a place that the hopeless pregnant moms driving by pull in and know this is a safe place Let this be a place where a foster child can feel the love of a father and where broken families can be restored. But most of all, I pray that when they pull up a map of foster care in the United States, that the movement of the churches across New England becomes so evident it is visible on the maps. That New England will become a place with more foster homes than foster children. And we will not stop in this house until that happens. This morning, we have an incredible honor uh, to have a guest in the house who's with us today. She has first experience in the foster care system and a passion for change. She has an incredible story of finding faith through foster care. And we're so grateful to welcome Tori Hope Peterson. Cool story about that, real. <laughs> um, that was like a TikTok, a real. I started, um, people call this a ministry. 
I, that was not my intention. I just wanted to share the story of what God had done in my life um, and how this ministry started um, was really through social media. I just, I, I wanted to use what I had and that was my screen. So I started to share my story and I had been sharing for about three years. And one day my husband, he was just like, um, if you want to, it was a Sunday, usually try not to do social media on Sundays, like try and just take a break. But my husband was like, hey, I'm going to take the kids. And um, if you need to do some content, like this would be a good time because like everything's going to be quiet. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go like make this little video. And it went viral, <laughs> like totally unexpected. Um, it was so, it was so fun. And um, so many opportunities has, have, has come from writing on flashcards and like showing it on a video. So fun. Uh, as she said, my name is Tori Hope Peterson. I first went into the foster care system when I was three years old due to a drug bust. Um, I was thankfully reunited with my mom, my biological mom. My mom loves me and she loved me then and she worked her case plan like most biological parents do. Like she loved me, um, like most biological parents love their children. And so she worked her case plan. I was reunited with her. I was an only child at this point. But then as I got older, as my mom got older, her mental illness got worse and the abuse in our home started to increase. I had a sister, nine and a half years um, younger than me, and we re-entered the foster care system when I was an adolescent. I was about 12, my sister was three, and we re-entered because the abuse had gotten so bad. I thought the second time that this was gonna be an opportunity for us to escape the abuse. We were going to have a normal family, uh, people to love us. And I was kind of excited to go into the foster care system that second time around. But within a month of being in that first foster home together, my sister and I were separated. There was abuse that happened in the home. And I reported it. I was deemed a liar. And I went to a residential treatment facility. After that, I moved throughout many more homes. I experienced 12 homes total throughout my entire foster care experience until I emancipated the day I turned 18. And I chose to emancipate because I felt so hurt by the foster care system. But during this time, I was going to a church uh, that my foster mom, my last foster mom started taking me to. And when I look at this church, I think of my church. When I look at this church, I think of a church that truly cares for kids that were like me. I was very far from God when I came into the church. Um, I really didn't want anything. I usually don't get this emotional. <laughs> I tell this story all the time. But it's so beautiful to be in the presence of people that care, like genuinely care for the least of these. And so I, I was so far from God, and I was in this church, and almost everyone in leadership was involved in foster care in some capacity. Whether they were foster parents, uh, the founder of the church had started a nonprofit to serve foster families, like everyone was involved. And if they weren't directly involved, like they were supporting foster parents. And it made me think, like, if these people care about kids like me, then maybe Jesus cares about kids like me. 
And maybe if he cares about kids like me, like maybe he cares about me. I also had a track coach who came into my life, and there were a lot of people that said, you're going to be a statistic. Um, We know that the statistics of foster care are very saddening. Only 3% go on to get a college degree. 60 to 85% of human trafficking victims are directly involved in the foster care system. Um, 20% of youth who've experienced foster care are instantly homeless the day they turn 18. Like, the statistics are sad. And so these statistics were being spoken over me. And I think there was part of me that, like I did, I believed that I was possibly going to be these statistics because that's what was spoken over me. And we know that words are life or death. But my track coach, I had a track coach who came into my life and I I remember praying to this God that I was very far away from and didn't want anything to do with, but I did pray to him sometimes. And I said, I was like, God, I just want a dad. Like, I feel like that would just solve all of my problems. And I was kind of mad at God because I was like, why wouldn't you have given me a dad? Like, that would have solved a lot of issues. Maybe I wouldn't have went to the foster care system. Or maybe I would have had someone who could take me out of the situations that were abusive just for a short time. And then my track coach came into my life, and he said, Tori, I believe that you can go on to the state track meet, and I think that you could win it. Like, I think that you're talented, and I think that the change starts with you. And I was like, this man is crazy. <laughs> but we're just going to give it a whirl, and if it doesn't work out, we're going to blame him. It's like, it's his crazy idea. So I started to train with him, and he became like my best friend. When I was in the foster care system, there were a lot of rules, uh, and so I couldn't, like, go to Friday night football games. I couldn't go to a friend's house unless their parents had proof of license and insurance and fingerprints and background checks, and I would ask them, and they would look at me like I was crazy. <laughs> like, you guys get it. But most people, they're like, that's, that's weird. And so I didn't have a lot of friends in high school. I felt really alone. And so my track coach, he became like my best friend. And when I was homeless, he said, my family wants you to be a part of our family. And he welcomed me into his house, And he adopted me into his family. The crazy thing is people, they're always like, okay, he must have been a teacher, right? Because coaches are teachers. Or people are like, he must have had some kind of like certification, specialization with kids. But like my track coach, during the day, he was a factory worker. And he's the most ordinary, humble man you'll ever meet. Like, sometimes I take him to speaking engagements, and people will come up to him, and they'll be like, what you did is incredible. And he'll just, like, shrug his shoulders. (laughs) Be like, it was just the right thing. And I think that his life is just, it's just living proof that we can do this work and be ordinary because our God is so big. We do not have to be special to do this work because we serve such a special, miraculous God who does the work through us. I hear so many people say, I can't step into the foster care system. It's too corrupt. It's too broken. That's the reason us as believers can step into the foster care system because we have the power through the Holy Spirit to bring healing and wholeness to it. What my track coach did, it's, it's what a lot of you are doing. Like, he just loved the person right in front of him. Something I love to say is, I love you already. Because my track coach, he didn't need to know the end of the story. Like, he didn't know I was going to be talking about him on stage eight years later. 
Like he invested in me when I was a risk and a mess. He just loved me already. And that is the kind of love that, that Jesus loves us. Like he doesn't know the end of the story. He just gives this love to us that doesn't have to be earned. John 13, 34 through 35 says, Jesus is speaking in the scripture, and he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says, if you love one another, three times in this scripture. Like, it's so emphasized. It's so important the love that we have for one another. Because my track coach, like, I'm here with a microphone. I talk very openly about my faith. I love the Lord. But my track coach, like, he didn't. And he still doesn't. But I knew the Lord through him because of his love for me. Sometimes the greatest proclamation of Jesus is simply our actions in love. So I think the question that a lot of us have when it comes to talking about the orphan and the widow and serving in foster care is, are we all really called to this, right? Like, are we all really supposed to be involved in this work? And James 1.27, the scripture that was already brought up today, is religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is James 1.27. And James 1.27 is the last scripture in James 1. And so I think we can look at this scripture and be like, there's no instruction. Like, that's just it. And we shut our Bibles and we don't know what to do. I ended up becoming a part of that 3%, graduating from college with a bachelor's degree. I majored in Christian studies because I just wanted to know more about Jesus, not because I thought I was going to do this. And I really wish that I would have taken it more seriously now. <laughs> but there's one thing, like this is like the one thing I remember because I thought it was really cool. And it was uh, those big numbers in scripture, those chapters, those titles, like those were put in by the modern man. So our professor, he encouraged us to take those out and then just read scripture like that. And so I was reading this scripture, and I asked, like, well, maybe, maybe there is instruction. So if there is instruction, like if I just kept reading without the title and the number into James 2, what would it say? What would the instruction be? And the title is actually kind of cool, so I'm going to say it. It's Favoritism Forbidden. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your home wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to a man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This scripture, I think what it's encouraging us to do in caring for the orphan and the widow, the least of these, it's calling us to create an equal space. It's calling us to create the same space that we would for a donor, for a tither, for a rich man, the same space that we would create for them, for the poor man, for the child that does not have the, the fine gold jewelry or parents. 
It wants us to, God wants us to create an equal space. Many of you know the story of Esther. She was uh, an orphan. And because of God's hand over her life, she became a queen uh, to a king. And her uncle came to her in the midst of turmoil and said that there's a whole population, there's a whole population of Jewish people that are going to be killed if you do not do something. And Mordecai, that was her uncle, called her to go to the king and advocate for, for the population that she was. And when he said that, he said, if you remain silent at this time, at this, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. I think sometimes we ask, like, if not us, then who? And it's like, if not us, God will bring deliverance from another place. But I want it to be me. And I think you want it to be you, right? Like, I want God to, his power, I want his power in me to change and to deliver the oppressed people. But Mordecai said, it will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. People always ask, if not us, then who? But if not us, God will ordain someone else, but God has ordained us. The last point I want to talk about the theme of James, um, you know, in speaking about the orphan and the widow and uh, what he's calling us to, it's really a call to consistency as Christians. It's really a call to live out the character of Jesus, proclaim his name, and also reflect the life that he lived here on earth. When I was, I moved to my 11th foster home. And they were one of the first foster families that consistently, like, proclaimed the name of Jesus, took me to church on Sundays, and they, they made me think uh, more about coming to Jesus. And I started to be drawn towards this man that I was learning about in church. He was kind. He was compassionate. And I understood that he loved me. And I didn't even know that was possible. Like, people could love me. But this Jesus man, I was like, I think, I think it's true that maybe he does. But then those 11th foster parents, they abused their children behind closed doors. And so there was a lot of confusion. If this Jesus guy is so nice, then why aren't his people? Because of that situation, I moved to my 12th foster home. And the foster mom did the same thing. She started taking me to church every Sunday, and we did devotions before bed. But she was different in the way that she was very sacrificial. And that's how I understood Jesus. I, I heard that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that God sacrificed his son so that we could live because he loved us. And so that sacrificial character, that's, that's what I was looking for. And my, my foster mom, this is the things, these are the things that she will say about herself, okay? <laughs> All the things I'm going to say about her. This, this is what describes her, okay? You, you didn't know you were going to get a recipe today in, in the church service, but this is it. So her name is Gigi, and like every night we would make this dip together. This is how you make it. Um, a block of cream cheese, a stick of butter, and a can of corn. <laughs> okay, I told you guys that I was running track, and I was taking track very seriously. And so I was like, Gigi, like, we got to have something different. And um, 
she was like, oh, like, okay. And I know to some of you guys, it's like, well, of course we would do that. But she would take me to the grocery store and we would look up recipes and we would figure out like how to cook healthier together. And to me, like that was a huge sacrifice because she was already living her life. I was her first placement ever. And she was like, I'm going to change my life because I believe in the potential of this girl, which nobody else did. And then, you know, I, I would go to track practice with my coach and we would have one-on-one practices because there was no other high schoolers like practicing in the off season. If you're a high schooler and you want to be really good at your sport, practice year round, choose one sport and just do it year round. So I was going, I was practicing with my coach one-on-one and you, you know, he was a man, like we couldn't do that. It was against the foster care rules. And so Gigi had to come and what she would do is she would like walk around the track while we practiced and she would literally like walk by us and she'd be like, I hate this, but I love you. <laughs> and <laughs> And, like, she meant it. Like, she hated that. But she did it for me. And it was just, like, I could see, like, this is the character of Jesus. Like, he is going to run a million miles for me to see my potential and his glory be shined through me. And God wants to do that through you. Like, his glory. He wants to shine his glory through you, through this call. And so... This call to consistency, it was consistent Christians that brought me towards his heart. In James 126, which is the scripture right before the orphan and widow scripture, it says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. That's for me. You know, sometimes our greatest strength can be Our greatest weakness, my greatest strength, I got the gift of gab, that's why I'm here. (laughs) But my greatest weakness is also my tongue. Like, I wish I talked to my husband kinder. I wish that I had more of a reign. And I think that when we see that our faith, our religion, the way we walk it out is just as important as the way we proclaim Jesus' name, we are going to bring his children to understand that they are beloved children of God, not just through a proclamation, but through a walk that we live. And so I want to pray that over us today as we end. God, I just thank you. I thank you for this church that is answering the call. I thank you for this church that is in, like, in the depths, doing the hard stuff to reflect you. And I pray that all of us, that you make us consistent through our tongues through our walk, through our hands, through our feet, that you help us be the light of the world and the salt of the earth so that your children who have not yet met you can look to this church and say, what do they have that I don't have? And the only answer is you, God. God, I thank you for the anointing that you have placed over this church. And I just pray that you continue to equip them, to give them all that they need to continue to answer this call. And I pray for the children in this church. God, I ask, I just lift them up to you. And I, I speak over them the truth that you have already proclaimed, that they are no longer orphans, but children of God, that we all are no longer slaves, but you have set us free. We love you. We thank you for your goodness, for dying on the cross, for our sins, so that we can be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so good. 
Um, thank you, Tori. Tori and her husband, Jacob, are both here this morning, and they will be in the uh, corridor after service if you would like to meet them. They all, uh, also have some things they brought with them, but we have Tori's book. Um, it's a beautiful memoir of her, her uh, experience in foster care, and so we would love you all to grab one of those this morning just to uh, support her in her work, but I think it's an incredible book for even those who don't foster um, just to have a better understanding. All right, so um, I'm so excited to take this moment to share a little bit with you about the three ways you can get involved here at His Providence Church. And just like Tori mentioned, we do recognize that everybody isn't called to foster or adopt, but everyone is called to help. And fostering is a step of faith not only for foster parents, but for the community that surrounds them. So we're going to start with Bags of Hope. For those of you who saw the worship team up here this morning or people running around with Bags of Hope shirts or um, have not experienced Bags of Hope at His Providence Church before, buckle up. <laughs> um, it's about to get wild in here. If you cannot walk down the hall because there's Kohl's boxes that are falling over in your face, this is because of Bags of Hope. Um, so Bags of Hope started here at His Providence Church um, 11 years ago. And... Um, this happened after John and I had taken our first placement in and he had come with a trash bag. And we were very alarmed and then kept running into kids that were traveling through the foster care system with trash bags. And so we decided with our small church family at the time to do a small project um, and asked if someone would help us embroider names on bags to deliver to kids in foster care just so they could travel with something with their name on it and that they could own something. And a lovely couple, Frank and Sandy Kowalik, uh, volunteered to do 30 bags at the time. Folks, we just delivered 33,000 bags. Um, so it's a, it's a few more, a, a few more than 30, just a few more than 30. If you see Sandy, she is here this morning. Um, during this time of the year while she's embroidering, her hands are like, You'll see her out there. Um, but Bags of Hope has been able to spread. It's in Florida now, and Tennessee, and Indiana, and Connecticut, and Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New York. Um, and Bags of Hope is an incredible project and program. But I really need everybody to understand very clear how we feel about Bags of Hope. Bags of Hope is a tool to be able to meet a need of kids in foster care as they move through the system. Bags of Hope is not a feel-good project. Bags of Hope is our ability to have a platform to be able to get out to churches across this nation and say, each one of these bags represents a child in foster care and have a real picture of what it is like. And we want children to have something with their name on it because the Lord calls them by name. So the most important part of this project is an ornament that we sell um, that is what covers the cost of the bag. Those ornaments have the name of every child in local foster care in the states that we're providing bags for. And we are interceding and praying on behalf of those kids. That's what's important, not the bag. The bag is a secondary piece of this. But to have the opportunity to be able to think about those kids, um, I can't even begin to tell you the stories of the kids that have been impacted 
as they come into our church or other churches across the states. Um, I was actually telling the story the other day of my parents um, had a Christmas tree up one Christmas and um, we had a teen that was living in um, living with us and he came over to their house for Christmas and he looks up at their Christmas tree and there was an ornament with his name on it from years before that they had um, purchased and he was like, your parents have been praying for me for a couple of years. <laughs> And just to see the impact on him. So we have ornaments out in the corridor today. Um, we're doing 6,000 bags this year. And so that's going to be happening. You will see that here at HPC. If you want to stop by the tables, you can find out how you can purchase an ornament, um, how you can get involved um, on those nights where we pack and wrap and deliver all these bags. We have a 5K coming up to support Bags of Hope on Thanksgiving Day. Come out and run. Um, come out and walk. Uh, but that 5K is going to be awesome. Um, we need families to participate in that. We also would love you to have your, your corporate sponsors. If you have anybody that would like to help back that, all that money goes to Bags of Hope. Um, the second thing I'm really excited to announce is a new foster care ministry here at His Providence Church called Belong. And it's an adoption and uh, foster care resource support group that is going to have so many fun upcoming things. If you're a foster parent or an adoptive parent, please stop by that table. We have an awesome group of foster moms that are running this ministry. Um, they are going to have um, all kinds of fun things planned. Parents' night out for Christmas, book clubs. Uh, we have a great seminar coming up by Linda Andrade, who's going to help us walk through healing and trauma with our um, kids as foster and adoptive parents. So please stop by there. But more importantly, for those of you who can help support foster parents, if you don't foster um, or adopt, and you can stop by that table and you can help um, make meals for foster families, help with babysitting, help with mentoring, please stop by. We'd love to see you at that table. And lastly, um, we have our Boys Town team here this morning, and we would love to help you become a foster parent in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. Um, Boys Town has been a, a really connected to this church since the beginning um, of our foster care ministry. And we have the ability to license folks in both Mass and Rhode Island and provide support to families in this church. So if you're able to stop by there, we also have incredible jobs in foster care at Boys Town, and if you feel like you're being called into a different season of work, um, we would love to share some of those job opportunities with you this morning. So thank you for your time. I'm going to actually turn it over to Pastor Zach to um, close this out. So good. Oh, I love it. I love it. Hey, and so from, from my perspective, just so you, all, you guys know, uh, one thing that we've been praying for for years since before, thank you so much, Jamal, since um, the church started and we've seen the burden unfold in our churches uh, to see revival come to the churches of New England. And, uh, and here's what's interesting. Uh, I, I've been a part of so many, like, church unity things, um, pastor get-togethers, how can we do ministry together, how can we come together, let's do something in the park, let's do something in the PPAC, let's do something in the veterans memorial, whatever. And it's always like this, there's like this heart that wants to see churches come together and it, something always falls short. But I'm here to tell you that I have never seen unity among believers rise up like I have around Bags of Hope. Um, 
is it possible? They took that slide down, but that James passage, is it possible? Wouldn't it just be like God to bring revival through orphans? Wouldn't it be just like God? We think it's going to happen through like the big speaker. If we can just get the guy to come in, if we can get the prophet or the evangelist or the whoever to come in and speak this great message and have these great altar calls. I don't think anything calls the people of God to the altar like orphan care. I don't think anything calls like the conviction, the, the burden, the realization that there is a fatherless generation that is in need of a relationship with the father. And, and so I have, I've watched this thing. I've watched pastors and ministries and churches rally around this. And it has been an incredible answer, an unexpected answer to the prayers that we've been praying as a church on a, on a larger scale than just orphan care. It's, it's answering the bigger question of how, are the, how is the bride of Jesus coming together? And so I love it. And I want to thank especially John and Kim again and all the people on that team that have rallied around them. Thank you guys so much for bringing the heat. And uh, yeah, and thank you, Tori. So good. So awesome. The story and everything and the message. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, let's give it up for Tori one more time. Did I miss, did you say you're from the Midwest? Where at? Ohio. Yeah. We have some Ohioans in the house. You know what? The, the, the giveaway from Ohio is there's like no accent. I love it. There's like no accent at all. Ashley once told me that they send news like broadcasters to Ohio to like unlearn all their accents because Ohio is so neutral um, and I love it. So thank you. Thank you for not having an accent, making it difficult for people to receive that. That's why God blessed you with this travel around the world thing because everybody can hear you. You're like the Rosetta Stone of like American accents. We need that in Jesus' name. Turn with me to Genesis 35. And as you get there, guys, I know that this morning is like information overload, okay? Uh, but hopefully you're taking notes and hopefully, you know, you'll rewatch the second service on YouTube if you need to uh, and make sure that you get everything down. I want to give you two important dates coming up. Um, remember what was supposed to happen on October 23rd? Okay. Some of you are like, eh, no, because it came and went. Well, December 4th and December 11th are now locked in um, for the original dates that we had for the 23rd and then the following Sunday. So it is imperative that you're here. Make sure you come for two reasons. Number one, because like we said before, um, the gentleman from Dallas is going to be coming up and sharing with us a little bit about how we're going to be financing uh, the whole building thing that, that's happening. Um, but there's another reason, and it is, if you were here last week, you heard me sort of acknowledge the fact that Cheryl Powers had called me on the floor about how we haven't been having family meetings, if even just for the sake of casting vision, sharing fruit, sharing what's happening in all the ministries all over the place. There are so many extension things that are happening, and it's, it's difficult, I think, to keep your hands or your ears or your heart in more than just a couple of them at any given season. And so... What we want to do with the remainder of our time on December 4th is share vision. We want to give praise. We want to give thanks to the fact for the fact that God has just been ridiculously blessing uh, so many efforts, so many kingdom exploits out of this house. And, uh, and so 
I know on, a, on any given Sunday, you're not usually hearing about all those. Occasionally, you'll hear Pastor Daniel come up and preach and share a little bit about his prison. You'll hear from Kurt and School of the Spirit. You'll hear from Frank Lucas and, or me on what's going on at King's Academy. You'll hear from uh, Pastor Holly here and there about children's ministry. But there are so many incredible things. This year alone, um, we launched the River uh, Health and Wellness Center down the corridor. Some of you don't even go down the corridor. Um, you just come in and out that door, and you don't even know what happens down there. You hear kids screaming, and you're like, I don't want to go down there. <laughs> I don't blame you. But the deal is this. The deal is this. There's a lot happening around the clock and so what we want to do is take a, a portion of that Sunday, December 4th, and also just share from the hearts of uh, some different leaders here on our team and a different representation of ministries happening all over. Um, so that's December 4th. Make sure that you're here for that Sunday. Anything else? Okay. So Genesis 35, this is going to be short uh, because... Every time that there is a, a belong Sunday now is what we're calling it. So every time there's a belong Sunday, um, I, I like, Kim and I go back and forth a little bit on like, okay, is there going to be a time to like preach a message? I don't know. Tori's coming. She's supposed to be really long-winded and, you know, she's got a whole book. She's going to be reading excerpts out of the book. It could turn into a signing. I don't know. But we just want to, like, play it by ear. And so that's kind of how Kim and I leave every one of the executive meetings that are leading into uh, a Sunday for orphan care ministry. And um, we used to do the nights and the banquet and all this and that. And, uh, and I never wanted it to be this obligatory thing. But I remember a while back sort of asking the Lord, all right, so, God, where, where am I supposed to find a, a message on orphan care? Adoption. The spirit of adoption especially after we had had four or five or six of these and all the givens were already taken. Like, like we preached on Esther. We preached on uh, Moses. We preached on a couple of these really good, I mean, even Jesus. We talked about Jesus and, you know, Mary and Joseph and Joseph kind of stepping in as sort of this, you know, obligatory father role because his real father, right, how he was conceived. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of stories that are kind of easy targets, and then you kind of move past those. And I was asking the Lord a, a number of years ago, uh, where do we go here? God, lead me to a story in the word about adoption. Can you show me one? And the Lord was so clear, and he says, can you show me a story that's not about adoption? Dang it. Dang it. So, guys, we can do a lot of Belong Sundays. In fact, we can turn every Sunday into a Belong Sunday. But I want to just talk to you for just a couple minutes uh, out of Genesis 35 because there's a very important aspect um, in this story, and it is the changing of the name. The changing of the name. And I think a lot of times, you know, we, we see a couple of stories um, when, when uh, people's names are changed, and obviously Saul to Paul is one, and uh, Jacob into Israel is another. And I want to talk about Jacob's name change and how Jacob was, you know, he was not a traditional orphan. You know, he grew up and, and he was in the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? We see these guys and their families and that sort of thing. And there wasn't confusion about who his earthly biological mother and father were, but there was some confusion surrounding his identity. And 
as the father transitions him out of this sort of like holding pattern that he was in and brings him into a place of destiny, there's a name change that goes along with it. And I think of kids that are adopted and I think of um, the, the things that we've celebrated at this altar um, on this stage, uh, the different stages that we've had in buildings over the years and how we get around these families when a child's name is changed. Not just changed like their last name, the actual physical name, but the, what my sister was talking about this morning, the statistics. When you go from a statistic to a child of God. And so I want to talk for just a second about this story. Um, in verse 9 of chapter 35, it says, Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob. But Israel shall be your name. Now, if you know the story, if you don't, you can go back and read more. But if you, if you know the story, then you know uh, that Jacob came out of the womb as a deceiver. Jacob and his twin brother Esau were delivered. And as Esau is delivered first, we see Jacob coming out of the womb, holding onto his heel. And they literally named him supplanter. They literally named him after this heel-holding restraint. And so uh, it's interesting because that, that word, um, literally, it, it comes from this root, and it means to assail insidiously, to restrain as if holding by the heel. Some of your Bibles will um, describe it as a deceiver. And some of your Bible lexicons and dictionaries will, will, will uh, translate it that way because the idea is that one is held back so that the other can get ahead. It's not just hold back so that they'll be held back. It's hold back with the agenda of getting out in front. And I want to talk about this name and even in, you, you've heard some statistics this morning, but how powerful it is to be named something, to be called something. In fact, um, Kim won't even let me use the word orphan anymore because of the connotations and the stigma that's attached to it. And I love that we change the name. I'm going to get confused and I'm going to mess it up and I'm going to call it Orphan Sunday for a long time. I'm just asking for grace on that. But it's not Orphan Sunday. It's Belong Sunday, all right? But there's something so powerful about a name. And so Jacob grew into his name. He became what he was called. He owned it. And all the statistics that go along with it. I don't want it to be too depressing, but I will say that, that kids in, uh, in the system are seven times more likely to suffer from depression. Five times more likely to have anxiety. And when we see the, the growth of, I know a lot of people are tra trying to trace back, well, well the, all this wave of depression and anxiety, where is it coming from? Well, it's riding a wave of fatherlessness. Only at, at 24 years old, only half of foster kids will have stable employment. At 24 years old, kids that grew up in the system, only half, uh, I'm sorry, half will also develop substance abuse issues. Half. 50%. This one really got me. Foster kids are twice as likely as veterans to have PTSD. 
twice as likely. We don't talk about it. We don't, we don't really talk about it because it's kind of like it just group it all together. Well, we know what's bad, Zach. We don't need to need, need to know how bad it is. Males are four times as likely to commit a crime than their peers growing up in biological homes. Females are 10 times more likely. Which bolsters up my theory that women are just more criminally minded. <laughs> Two and a half times more, I would say. But the big deception, the big deception, in fact, Jacob owning that name as deceiver, supplanter, heel holder, we see it sort of blossom into this really ugly thing when he robs Esau of what? The birthright. The birthright. See, that's, that's what this was all about. And saints today, that's what it's all about. That's what this whole ministry is all about. That's the, the lowest common denominator is birthright. Birthright. I think we read the story and we think about the bowl of, of porridge. We think about the, the, the animal skin that he put on going in before his father whose sight was failing because he knew Esau was hairier. And he goes in and he gets the blessing because at its root, that thing, that, that carnal broken instinct within us wants a birthright. You see, a birthright isn't just about what you get. It's about who gets you. In the Bible, in this time, the eldest son, right, the, the firstborn would inherit sort of like the family estate. He would stay there and grow up. He, he would have his family raise his kids and grandkids in the same house, like on the same grounds with all the same fields, whereas the sons born after that, they would have to venture off. They would have to leave the father's house and go out and try to make a way for themselves. They'd be starting from scratch, if you will. But the oldest would grow up under that covering, under that identity and on the foundation that the father had already laid for him. And I think to see a generation growing up without a birthright, we see what's missing, don't we? That foundation. So the first thing the father does with Jacob is acknowledge the fact you have this old name. And for Christians who for too long have wanted to stick their head in the ground and say, yeah, uh, you know, I get it, it's bad, but let's just uh, keep, you know, giving to charity or, you know, at around Christmas time, you know, buy a couple of extra gifts and put them in a box somewhere for, you know, kids here or there or whatever it is. We've kept our head in the sand for too long about the name that is on this generation of the fatherless. The first thing the father teaches us in these three lines in this one verse is call out the name, call it out for what it is, acknowledge what it is that the world, that the enemy has wanted to label foster kids with. His next line, and this one is super important, he says, you shall no longer be called Jacob. You see, the world in its best efforts skips this step. 
The system falls for the deception. Isn't that interesting? Because it's the deceiver. The system falls for the deception that in order to get these children ahead, they should be given special treatment or privileges or action plans because they were unwanted. But the father teaches us here that what you take away from a child is perhaps more important than what you ever give them. Your name shall no longer be Jacob. See the difference? Some of you just in normal, just biological, domestic homes, you need to get that line. That the father teaches right here what you take away, what you pull off of, what you break a kid out of, what you remove from their lives, what you remove from their identities is often more important than what you actually give them. The world keeps adding, well, let's do this. How about, how about free college tuition? How about, um, how about housing after you turn 18? That was a plan here in this uh, mass. Well, let's, now let's cover their, when they age out of the system, if they haven't been adopted, let's cover their housing. Okay, let's get them into job programs. All right, well, let's just keep cutting them checks because, hey, we're America. We can just keep printing more money, right? The world keeps adding to a foundation of rejection and abandonment. We have to remove the old identity before giving them a new one. Because pretty soon, no matter what action plan you put on, the, on, on, a, on a child that has the wrong identity about themselves, they're going to see every opportunity through that brokenness. They're going to see everything that's handed to them in life. Well... This didn't come from my father. This came from the government. This didn't come from my mom. This came from, you know, some system. Everything, whether they take advantage of the opportunity or not, it's compounding the brokenness. It's compounding the old identity. That's why as the bride, as the church, see, the father is the only one who has the real power to remove the old name. Think about it. Even in just normal today standards, the father is the only one. Your name, your last name comes from your father. And so what happens is when the father is introduced to the equation, the old thing can come off, the old identity. And finally, he says, Israel shall be your new name. You know what Israel means? It means God prevails. Isn't that interesting? It, it doesn't even say anything about the kid. It doesn't even say, well, okay, the old name was Deceiver. Can I get a new name like Handsome or like, you know, like Awesome or Talented or Mr. Universe or something? Nothing like that. Okay. No, because it's not about you. I love that you don't play that up like it's not a big deal. Like, <laughs> whatever. You get that from your dad. Just shrug your shoulders. Whatever. It's just another day at the office. Miss Universe? Yeah, whatever. That's the whole universe. That's on other planets, too. I don't think y'all fully appreciate that. You know why it was so cool that God renames this young man Israel? Because it's showing not what we want for ourselves or what we want for these kids, what we think is fair. It's showing them what God wants for them. 
and how he gets what he wants. Your new name is going to be God prevails. Well, what does that say about me? It says that if you're with him, you're winning. If you're not, you're not. God prevails. It's not about the children. You see, all this stuff, it's never really been about the children. It's always been about the father. It's always been about the father. He alone has the power to change the name. And he is gathering this generation to himself. You see, I believe with my whole heart, we know that nothing bad can happen without the Lord allowing it, right? We know that he permits the prince of the power of the air. He permits Satan to do his business. And some of us really wrestle with that. Well, you know, if there was a God, why would these bad things happen? Why would there be whatever in the Middle East and school shootings and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Just you've got your list of things that you struggle with that you can't, you know, reconcile with the idea of there being a good, loving God. But we were just singing this song. He takes what the enemy meant for evil. I believe with my whole heart that the Lord has watched this thing spiral downward to the point of fatherlessness so that he could step in. Let me show you what a father's like. Let me show you what your new name is. Let me show you what happens when you begin to identify with the fact that I prevail. Let's stand to our feet. Okay, so I want to just close with this one point because I love it. It's like, it's like it, I, I wasn't ready for it. Like, I was putting this together really quickly, and I'm like, I don't even know if we have this much time, Kim, but we do. Look, we're fine. But would you believe that this is actually the second time that the father had this conversation with Jacob? It's the second time. Okay? There was another time, three chapters earlier in chapter 32, Right? And it was after, if you were here at Fireside on Monday night, you know, we talked just briefly about Jacob and the, the stairway to heaven and the Led Zeppelin song and all that stuff. And it was all kind of coming together. There was a really powerful sort of um, moment for a couple of old uh, rockers, 70s rockers. But what happened was we see Jacob wrestling. He, right, he lays down. There's this whole encounter. And, uh, and he wrestles with the Lord. And, and because he wins... Um, uh, because he wrestles until his hip is dislocated, right? And then the morning happens. And at that point, God changes his name. He says, your name is Jacob, but now your new name is going to be Israel. But in the chapters following, Jacob doesn't own the name. Did you get me? The father gives him a new name. But it doesn't take. He continues to be called Jacob. In fact, he goes on and he settles in a place called Shechem. He settles there with his family and his whole life sort of revolved around making sure that he, uh, you know, was kind of out of the way of his brother. There was like a concern that his brother was going to kill him, and even though he didn't really want to. And there's a lot of drama around it all. It was like a reality TV show back and forth between these two twins. And then he settles in Shechem. And I want you to know that the name Shechem it comes from these two ideas of shoulder and, and uh, taking on a burden. And it literally means to willingly take responsibility for. 
the word Shechem. He settles in a town that, that literally means willingly taking the burden on yourself. But he had a new name. But it didn't take. It wasn't until he gets up, all of his family, all of his stuff, and he goes and he moves where? To Bethel. And it was in this place, Bethel, the house of God. It was in the house of God where the conversation happens again. Hey, for some reason, your name is still Jacob, even though I changed it a couple chapters ago. Except, you're right, there were no chapters. So he was like, a couple of what will be chapters in a few thousand years when modern man adds the numbers. You're right. But what's so crazy is this time, it sticks. This time, there's something different. This time, in this setting, in this atmosphere, in the house of God. See, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, oh, not just the opportunities and the privileges and the system and the benefits and the treatment and all this other stuff and the college scholarships and everything else out there. It's not just that. I think sometimes, even in our best efforts, we wanna, we wanna try to break off the old identity. We wanna try to break off the old lies and the old names and all the old statistics and all the old stuff. But it's not until we bring them into the presence of the Lord when the new identity really sticks. And unfortunately, you know, she was talking about true religion. Unfortunately, there's a lot of counterfeit religion. There's a lot of substitute religion. There's a lot of gross pharisaical religion that teaches this other idea, this, that, that, that if the kid can sh settle in Shechem, if we, can get, if we can get the burden, if we can get the responsibility, if you can do good, if you can do right, if you can uh, take every opportunity that's given you and, and you know, take advantage of these things and, and you know, rise up above the whatever. No. If you can settle in the house of God, if you can get into his presence, if you can hear his voice and stop hearing the name, no matter how many hundreds of people say, you're this, at the end of the day, it's when we hear it from the Father. It's when we hear it for ourselves. I don't need somebody to tell me God said this and God said that and God said this. I want to hear it for myself. I need to hear the Father. And I believe that every one of these children do too. And that's why this is such a high five to the, this church and the foster families in here that have brought so many kids. My God, I've cried too many tears over kids that we've had for just a short season only to realize that that's part of the divine plan. That's how he's going to bring more through Bethel, more through the house, more through his presence. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Getting the name to stick is not your job. Your job is getting them to Bethel. Your job is bringing these kids into the house, bringing them before the presence of the almighty God, the one 
who alone has the power to change the name. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your house. We thank you, God, for the way that you invite us in and and that, God, we can acknowledge that in your presence, Lord, old things are passed away and all things become new. And so, Lord, we pray the new thing over this generation. God, I pray that we would be diligent, Lord, forgive us where we've been ignorant in the past um, and naive about about, uh, doing it the world's way of just stacking uh, seemingly good things on top of a broken foundation. Lord, I pray that we would call out rejection, that we would call out abandonment. Lord, that we would rebuke the orphan spirit in the name of Jesus. And in doing so, Lord, that we would rise up as your bride with the power of your spirit to declare prophetically the new name, to declare authoritatively, victoriously, the new name, God prevails, God wins. God, I pray over our families and over our churches. I pray over this region of the United States and come into agreement, Lord, with my sister Kim and this idea that, Lord, a difference is already being made. Lord, that you would continue the good work that you're doing and that we would see um, a, a, a shift in the stats. God, that the, that the facts would follow the Father. We trust you in this, Lord. We love you. We give you all the praise. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.